Let's pray and give God thanks for moms. Lord, you are so kind, and the Bible tells us that you're the giver of every good gift. And today, in a unique way in our country, we are thankful for your gift of of moms. They have this unique relationship with us that no one else can really have. And it is dear. And so we praise you for being such a kind and gracious God to give us that kind of relationship. Lord, may we be thankful, praising you, expressing our gratitude even to our moms if they're still with us, not taking them for granted. Just what a great, great gift you've given us in moms. And Lord, I'm so thankful that many, many moms here know and love Jesus Christ and that their passion is for their children, some of them for their grandchildren, that they might experience redemption in Christ. Lord, thank you for that kind of burden that moms have. And for those moms who don't have that kind of burden, Lord, help them to have that by your grace, to see that that's the greatest act of wisdom ever, to be wise enough to know what it means to be reconciled to you through your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to 2 Timothy this morning. And this morning, we're going to focus on our responsibility as a church and our call as a church to be faithful to the gospel. And there is a great need in the world today and in the church world today for fidelity to the gospel, for faithfulness to the gospel. There's a great and urgent need for faithfulness to the gospel because the gospel, the Bible says, and you hear this a lot around here, is of first importance, 1 Corinthians 15.3. And if the gospel is of first importance, there is nothing that Satan would want to undermine or downplay more than the gospel. It is our greatest temptation. It's our greatest threat. There's a great and urgent need today for faithfulness to the gospel because sadly, evangelicalism at large doesn't know what the gospel is. If we did know what the gospel is, we wouldn't tolerate so much anti-gospel in the name of gospel. There's a great and urgent need today for faithfulness to the gospel because sadly, again, the church is busy mumbling about the gospel instead of boldly and clearly proclaiming the gospel. There's a great and urgent need today for faithfulness to the gospel because to misrepresent the gospel would be to have a damning gospel, according to Galatians 1, 8, and 9. It's that serious. There's a great and urgent need today for faithfulness to the gospel because too many pastors are too concerned with filling auditoriums instead of filling pulpits. And there's a great and urgent need today for faithfulness, for fidelity to the gospel because when the gospel is at stake, the glory of God is at stake because there's no greater manifestation that we know of of the glory of God than the gospel gospel of Jesus Christ. And we also should know as Christians, there is no greater desire that we have or should have than the glory of God. It certainly is God's greatest desire because He is God. So this morning we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, looking to be motivated for being faithful, for being faithful to the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, 
added humanity. He became a man. He became one of us so that he could come here and do what we don't do, and that is to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, to obey the law of God perfectly because we are lawbreakers as sinners. Jesus Christ came here not only to live a perfect life, He came here to die a sinner's death, to fully and completely absorb the wrath of God, the the just punishment for being lawbreakers, the lawbreakers that we are. He satisfied the wrath of God. He atoned for our sins, the Bible says. And Jesus Christ, according to the Gospel, then rose again from the dead, proving to everyone that the Father's justice was satisfied. That He did, in fact, powerfully overcome death, powerfully overcome sin on our behalf. This is the Gospel. And what we do is we call people to believe the Gospel, to trust in the Gospel, to depend upon Christ and Christ alone. That is our responsibility. As Acts 16 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So this morning we're going to talk about fidelity to the Gospel, faithfulness to the Gospel. The reason we're going to do this today is because it's been on my mind a lot. It's on my mind a lot anyway because I'm always feeling the temptation to maybe change the Gospel. Because you know, if we have more people, we can have a bigger budget and we can do more ministry for Christ. Or maybe if we don't talk about sin and we emphasize something else, or maybe if we don't talk about how you must believe in Christ and Christ alone, maybe if we we alter it just slightly so it's a little bit more palatable, maybe then we'll have more influence. I'm always facing that temptation, and you probably are too. It's real. Timothy was facing that temptation. When you read 2 Timothy from beginning to end, you sense that he is at least thinking about, toying with this idea of being ashamed of the gospel and therefore compromising the gospel. And so it's on my mind all the time, but it's on my mind even more so because I've been getting ready to go and speak at the Shepherds Conference in South Africa where I have the great privilege of preaching to pastors about being faithful to the gospel. And then all of a sudden you have to stop and think, do I practice what I preach? It's easy to go tell other people to do it, but how's Omaha Bible Church doing? Or is that just an assumed? Well, it shouldn't be just an assumed. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the need to be faithful to the gospel, loyal, committed to Christ. It's on my mind like never before, providentially because of addressing pastors. But you know what? It's also true for us here because we deal with this temptation all of the time. 2 Timothy 1, 6-18 gives us five gospel mandates. Five gospel mandates for every pastor, for every church, and for every Christian. Five gospel mandates for every pastor like me, every church like Omaha Bible Church, and every Christian like you if you are a Christian, and like me as a Christian. Remember how it goes. Paul writes to Timothy, and he writes, according to the beginning of the letter, over and over again, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle is one who is actually commissioned and sent on behalf of another with their authority. When they speak, the sender speaks. When they make a pronouncement, the sender makes the pronouncement. An apostle of Christ Jesus. 
So he's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor, and he's saying, Timothy, as a pastor, you've got to be faithful to the gospel. Don't you dare compromise. Don't you dare trim it or water it down. But then what's Timothy going to do? Timothy's pastoring a church, and then Timothy is supposed to preach that to all of the other Christians so that the church where he's pastoring, a church not altogether different from Omaha Bible Church, would be faithful to the gospel. And so this is for us. And this is for us. Are we going to be faithful tomorrow? Are we going to be faithful next year? Are we going to be faithful to the gospel? It's not a guarantee. History is littered with churches and denominations that used to be faithful to the gospel. Timothy is on that fine line. Is he going to stick to it or is he not? It's reality. A real temptation. And so let's look at this first mandate, this first gospel mandate. Let's summarize it this way. Be passionate in verses 6 and 7. Be passionate. That is, be passionate about the gospel. Look at verse 6. Hear these words, Omaha Bible Church. For this reason, referring back to verse 5, which is talking about the authenticity of Timothy's faith in the gospel. For this reason, because you're a Christian, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. And we'll stop there for now. The command is to fan into flame. The gift of God, based upon the context, is God gifting Timothy to be faithful to the gospel, to be committed to the gospel. So what he's saying is, Timothy, pastor, by implication, church, fan into flame. And I've summarized that by saying, be passionate, because that's the meaning behind the word picture. Fan into flame, billow, right? Like, like the old uh, air pump mechanisms, the billows. Timothy, you need to pump the air onto the flame and so it has the oxygen so it becomes stronger and bolder and emblazoned. In other words, we might say stoke the flames of your soul, Timothy, so that you are more committed to the gospel than ever. And it's in what's called the present tense. And so this is not a once-in-a-while thing, Timothy. This is not a once-in-a-while thing for Omaha Bible Church. He's saying, stoke that fire in your soul for the gospel, and you need to keep it stoked. Keep that air pumping. It's interesting, this same Greek word is used in the Greek Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, originally written in Hebrew, but there's a Greek version. Sometimes you're reading old literature, and it's LXX. The Septuagint, it's used in Genesis chapter 45, verse 27, and translated revived. And I kind of like to use that for a synonym because we think of revival. We think of all of a sudden you're, you're feeling rather lifeless and you're not so committed, and all of a sudden you need to have the, the fire stoked and you need to have a personal revival. But this isn't an ongoing, or this isn't a once in a while thing he's calling for here. He's saying, Timothy, you need to have a personal, heartfelt, gut level revival and it's a constant revival it's the revival that keeps on reviving and that's where we would want to be as a church that we love christ so much that we don't assume the gospel we love christ so much that it does in fact fuel the flame in our souls and it burns fiery hot for the glory of christ What's interesting is in just a little bit, he's going to rehearse the gospel. I'm not going to do it now and read it yet, but he's going to reiterate what the gospel is. And I think 
I know that's the best way to get the oxygen to the flame. Remember what Christ has done. Meditate on who Christ is. Think about what salvation really means and, and the implications involved and you will be able to, present tense, fan into flame. You will be passionate. You won't be passive. You'll be recharged. You'll be fired up, we might say, to proclaim the gospel, to defend the gospel, to do all things for that which is of most importance. Well, let's continue on, still looking at this first mandate He wants to jog Timothy's memory. So look at verse 6 where it goes on to say, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This giftedness is in you through the laying on of my hands. If we were to take the time to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, I believe it's verse 14, and look at other passages where this laying on of hands thing happened, you get a fuller picture. It's not just Paul. Other leaders were there affirming him. And it wasn't as if, if you look at all the passages, Paul somehow, in some sort of Spielberg-esque way, touched Timothy and giftedness went through Paul. That laying on of hands accompanied what it was that God had already done in Timothy's life. It was apostolic, official affirmation that God indeed had gifted him to do this. But what he's doing here is he's saying, Timothy, let me jog your memory. As if to say, even though he doesn't say it exactly this way, remember your ordination vows. (laughs) Remember when you didn't just think, hmm, I think God has called me to this. Well, you know, if that's all you have, when the going gets tough, you might decide to walk off the track. Because maybe God didn't. Timothy, remember. I, Paul, an apostle was there affirming what it was that God had done. We looked at the, if we looked at the other passages, the other leaders were there too. It was obvious that God had called you to do this. And so when it comes to you thinking about compromising, don't you dare. This isn't that you thought you heard God say something and lead you in a certain way. It was obvious. So you need to stoke those fires of that, those flames of that fire because it's actually legitimate. It's not in your head. It's not in your mind. Then he gives some rationale for it. Beginning in verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, There's rationale. Why why should you be so fired up about the gospel, Timothy? You're thinking about being timid. You're thinking about being passive. You're thinking about maybe compromising a little bit. Hey, Timothy, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. A good synonym would be God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, Timothy. God has not somehow made us weak in this gospel enterprise. Oh, yes, we're weak in and of ourselves. But when it comes to what we've been called to do, God has not called us to be weak in gospel emphasis. He's not given us a spirit of fear or shyness or hesitancy or cowardice or passivity. You're promoting the gospel, the object of truth about Christ. You're not having a conversation. You're preaching. You're bold. You know how it is. Sometimes we somehow get confused and we think, well, if we're really humble, we won't be strong. Maybe Timothy was, uh, you know, drinking a little bit of that poison. 
Oh, well, you know. Can't really know truth. Well, I think Jesus might have done this. And to me, Jesus is, this is what's worked for me. God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity. We're talking about the the historic objective reality about what Christ has done, and he's going to rehearse that for him. He's not done that. Be bold. Be strong. Then he gives a contrast in verse 7. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power. Dunamis, this Greek word that's used over and over again by Paul for supernatural enablement. It's not about being weak, Timothy, in gospel proclamation. God gave us a spirit of power, strength. He's going to use the same word in verse 8, I believe it is, to emphasize this power as it relates to the gospel and being bold and not being passive, not being weak. We're talking about the power that God gives He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. We might even say, He's given us backbone, Timothy. Strength, conviction, holy boldness when it comes to gospel ministry. And that would be true for Timothy then. And he's supposed to then obviously share these things, communicate these things to the local church, the church at Ephesus. And I would want to do the same thing and bounce the ball to you, Omaha Bible Church. God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear when it comes to gospel truth. He's given us a spirit of power, backbone, conviction. And it ought be evident as we think through compromise, no compromise. He says, no compromise. Be strong. I will always remember meeting with a man Quite some time ago, I was pretty new at Omaha Bible Church. Been here a couple of years, it seems. We had lunch, and he said to me, I need to talk to you about what my wife thinks about Omaha Bible Church. Swallow the broccoli, set the fork down, and you think, here we go. And I said, okay. He said, My wife thinks that Omaha Bible Church is a man's church. And I thought, kept listening, thought this is going to be bad. And then he said, and she loves it. (laughs) Kind of bizarre, huh? Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) So I just kept listening, you know. I wasn't going to take another bite for a long time. Just tell me what it was. And he's saying, and he said, and this is a good thing. Because he didn't mean there were only men involved. He didn't mean there wasn't vibrant, thriving women's ministry. He didn't mean that at all. What he meant was, it's not characterized as a whole by effeminacy and lack of backbone, that there's conviction among the men and the women. Sort of like Paul in... 1 Corinthians at the end, act like men. And he's addressing men and women. He's talking about having courage, being strong. That's how it should be. Because we're not talking about our opinions or our ideas. We're talking about the work of Christ. And we're called to be faithful to it. And so we would want to be strong in our convictions about it. Men, women, boys, and girls. But that's not all. Look at verse 7. More rationale before we move on to the next one. There's a couple more components. 
God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love. So helpful that that's in the same listing, same rationale as power and not of fear. Gave us a spirit of love. And at first you might think that doesn't really belong there. Well, it does, provided you get past the idea that love is some sort of mere sentimentality. Think about what love is in this list. Let's be committed to the gospel, having the, 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 the flames of our hearts stoked for the gospel. Because after all, God has given us a spirit of love. Love, by definition, this kind of biblical love, is doing what's best for someone else. See, the unloving thing for me to do would be to compromise the gospel so I could save face and have more friends and be more popular and have a bigger bank account. That would be love for self. But God has given us a spirit of love, which is this biblical love for other people. What's the most loving thing we can do as a church? Give them the gospel, right? Be faithful to the gospel, which comes from us being committed to the gospel, which comes from us being this passionate about the gospel. Let's keep the gospel the gospel because that's what people really need. And so he gave us a spirit of love. It would make no sense for us to be so unloving as to waffle on the gospel. That wouldn't be loving at all. That would be inconsistent with what God has given us. And then he also gives a little bit more rationale for us to be being passionate about the gospel. And that is also in verse 7. God gave us a spirit of self-control. He gave us a spirit of self-control. Now, we might take that out of context and we might just be able to do a, you know, a topical sermon on self-control and how important it is and go to Galatians chapter 5 and that would be all fine and good, but let's keep it here. Why would he put... God gave us a spirit of self-control in this passage about being faithful to the gospel. Remember, context determines meaning. Here's some synonyms for self-control. Soundness of mind, good sense, discretion, sober-mindedness. R. Kent Hughes translates it level-headedness. I think that's helpful. What's he getting at? Be bold and passionate about the gospel because God has given us a spirit of level-headedness. Timothy, a spirit of self-control, Timothy. Context would have us to conclude that it means this. As you have options to compromise here and options to compromise here and options to compromise here, God gave you a spirit of level-headedness. God gave you a spirit of discernment. You're aware and you're going, I don't think so, I don't think so, I don't think so. Because you're clear thinking. You're wise. God has enabled us to be able to be clear thinking. And so when this trend comes along and and it comes to my mailbox and as long as you come to this seminar and follow these principles, you're guaranteed to reach this many people by this date. And as appealing as that is, I'm thinking, hmm. Or as appealing as it is to you, God has given us a spirit of discernment, level-headedness. And we conclude, 
Why would we want to be the Ephesians 4 person? Why would we want to be the Ephesians 4 church? Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Every new marketing scheme, everything that comes along and it makes all these great promises. And we're going, we're not going to do that. We're talking about the gospel. And he's going to unpack the gospel, that which is eternal, that which is lasting. We're not tossed to and fro by every wind of Jabez. Tossed to and fro by every wind of purpose, by every wind of whatever. He's saying, he's given us a spirit of self-control. You want to go there. I know you do. God has given you a spirit of self-control to say, no, as good as it would taste for me to eat an extra large coffee heath blizzard from Dairy Queen every day, and as much satisfaction as I might get from that as I'm eating it, it's right by my house, it's so easy, it's so appealing, I could just give them my Visa card. My teeth are going to fall out, and I'm going to be fat, and it's empty calories. As much as you want to go there, God has given you a spirit of self-control, Omaha Bible Church. And in the spiritual realm, it's easy to go and do something else, but it's not what people need. It's not loving. He's given us a spirit of self-control. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Timothy, you can do this. Not on your own strength, but you can do this, Timothy. Don't compromise. Those are good words for us. Level-headedness. Number two, a second gospel mandate to be taken to heart by us as a church and pastors and Christians. Be unashamed. Be unashamed. And this is in verses 8 to 12. It's a rather lengthy section. Basically, we can just read it. Be unashamed. Be so committed to the gospel that you're not ashamed of the gospel. You're actually willing to stand up and suffer for it. Let's go ahead and read 8 to 12 with minimal comments. Therefore, do not be ashamed. See, there it is. There's the mandate. Do not be ashamed. Timothy apparently is thinking about being ashamed and compromising. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. That's, that's gospel talk. Nor of me, his prisoner. Right? Why is Paul... Why does Paul keep getting in prison? Because he keeps being unashamed of the gospel. And now Timothy's thinking in his mind, you know what? If I do what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to end up like Paul. And how am I supposed to influence people from Je- for Jesus like that, maybe he's thinking. And he, so he says, don't be ashamed. Actually, share, it says, in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That comes up again. How can you endure it? You can endure it by the power of God. Verse 9 Here he goes. He's going to unleash on the gospel. This is awesome. Here's where the motivation comes from for stoking our hearts, for not being ashamed. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. If I can just pause there for a second, you can keep your finger there on verse 9. You know, all these trends come along and and they're appealing to you. They're trying to bait you. And we're so wise because we've done the research and we've got all the marketing to back us up and wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. And and Paul's saying to Timothy, hey, you want to talk about wisdom? The gospel is God's plan before the ages began. God in eternity past came up with a plan and His plan was in Christ and in His gospel. 
This is wise beyond measure. Look at verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Not only in eternity past when God authored it, that that outdoes everything else, and then God had it actually take place here in time and space as we know it, real life history. Then he goes on to say, who abolished death? See, that's what we need. We need to have somebody take care of our death problem and brought life. Oh, that's what we need. We need to get life from someone and it comes through Christ. And immortality, that is going to give people what they actually need to light through the gospel. Timothy, what are you thinking? Why are you even being tempted? I've got to preach that to my own heart. Why am I even considering doing something else? This makes no sense at all. We're talking about life and abolishing death and immortality. Verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. Notice he's calling Timothy to not be ashamed. And he's saying, look at me. I am not ashamed, for I know. Notice he's not going to claim allegiance to a philosophy here. This is personal. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he, a personal God, who cares, is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Or as your footnote says, even better, entrusted to him. Don't be ashamed. How dare we be ashamed? What we're talking about here makes everything else look absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous, okay? Maybe I'll say it in bad grammar so it sticks in your mind. It's just dumb. It's just silly. See what we need. This is just reminding me that, that, we, that, we need to, that we need to keep remembering what the gospel really is. The key to not being ashamed of the gospel and compromising is remembering what the gospel is. Let's put it in these terms. When I want to do something else, It's proof that I either don't know what the gospel is or I've taken my eyes off of Christ. And that's why I'm ashamed. Now, who's going to say, I'm ashamed of Jesus? Nobody's going to say that. But our actions are going to show because we're not going to give the straightforward gospel. We're not going to talk about it clearly, boldly. Isn't that a great section to read? I just love that section. I know in whom I have believed, and he is able. You couldn't bait me with some kind of gimmick in a bazillion lifetimes. Because I know I've not bought into a philosophy, I've been saved by a personal God. So good. So good. Let's move on to another one. A third gospel mandate to be taken to heart by us as a church and as individuals. Hold on. Hold on. Verse 13, in other words, hold on to sound doctrine, but let's go ahead and look at it. 13 says, follow. New American Standard translates it, retain. King James, I like a lot. Hold fast. One Greek grammarian Translates it, hold on to the gospel. Because that's the image and the idea. Hold on or follow the pattern of 
the sound words that you have heard from me. Timothy, hold on with a death grip. Maybe we should say with a life grip. Hold on to the sound words, the sound gospel words. He borrows from the medical world of the first century. Sound words, healthy words. Timothy, you you have the vial, you know, with the antivenom or whatever you call it. You, you, You have the antidote. Timothy, hold on to it. Hold on to it for dear eternal life. You've got the gospel truth. Don't you dare in a million lifetimes let it go for anything else. Makes me think about driving. What is it? Ten and two. Eyes straight ahead. (laughs) Okay? Gospel focus. Don't look to the side. Don't look back. Both hands on the wheel. Focused. Hold on to these Sound words, gospel words, because the gospel is everything. Stay away from the pseudo-gospels. Oh, sure, they might have a temporary placebo effect, and they might do mind tricks on people. The real deal. Hang on because you have what people need. And if you love them, and God has given us a spirit of love, you're going to hang on to it. Don't. Have it be true for you that you're going to let go and grab some sugar pill. We're going to hang on. We want to hang on so tight to the gospel, the good news about Christ and salvation in Christ, that you will have to pry our stinking dead hands off of it, right? Tenacity. Come heaven or high water you'll have to pry my dead hands off of it. That's what we want. That's what we want the testimony to be because we're talking about the God who gives life and immortality. Hold on. I like learning and reading history when it comes to people that have done this by the grace of God. Charles Hodge comes to mind, famous Princeton theologian back when Princeton had a soul. Charles Hodge lived between 1797 and 1878, and he's famous for this quotation. I am not afraid to say that a new idea never originated from this seminary. As long as I've been here, nothing new. Gospel grip. And sadly, they pried his dead hands off of it. I like Charles Hodge. I like Charles Hodge so much, I've been to his house. I like Charles Hodge so much, I've had my picture taken by his tombstone, thrilled beyond measure that I could be at his grave. I like Charles Hodge so much that I've looked at the the original final draft handwritten manuscripts of his three-volume systematic theology that's still in print, and, and I just wanted to stay in that room for a long time reading it kind of smelled funky. <laughs> it was old. And I thought, where are the Charles Hodges? Nothing new, nothing novel. It's the old, old story. By the way, that God 
authored in eternity past. So it is old. Right? I like being motivated by the Charles Hodges of the world. It's too bad they're so rare. Now, we could get out of balance here, and I even kind of tried to growl, I think, earlier, frighten myself. You know, <laughs> you know, we're just holding on so tight, you know, in orthodoxy, and we're committed, and oh, God loves you, ah, you know. <laughs> That's not right. We're that committed, but I like the balance that comes in verse 13. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's helpful. Seems like that love creates an atmosphere, not of arrogance or pride, but of love. You know, rigid orthodoxy is not what we're aiming for. Orthodoxy, yes, but certainly not a spirit of rigid orthodoxy. We're going to die for this, yes, and smile. with joy in our hearts. And we actually love people enough to tell them the truth and not be angry, upset with them. That would be insufficient. Now let's move on to number four, a fourth gospel mandate to be taken to heart by us, by pastors, by Christians. In one word, guard. It's a lot like number three, guard. Verse 14 says, By the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He went from medical world to now banking world. Same image, really, in the sense that you're guarding, you're holding on to, but now you've got the good deposit. So what's our duty here when it comes to the gospel? We're like armed guards. We come in the truck. One guy's on the lookout. Another guy's carrying, and you go and you get the deposit and you get it to the bank. The gospel, guarding the gospel, knowing there are people who want to corrupt it and meddle with it, maybe in the name of Jesus, but we're on guard. We're guards. Makes me think of the old spy movies where you'd have the handcuff, right? With the chain to the briefcase. And you will give life or limb to protect whatever it is that's in there, the good deposit. Today it's a microchip in the ear or something. They're going to cut your ear off if they find out where it is. Nothing is going to keep us from getting this to where it needs to go. And that would be really passing it to the next generation is what we would want to have it be. Risking life or limb. Guarding. Another good image would be those big, giant NFL guards. Sometimes 300 pounds. They're not chickified, sissified, effeminized. Oh, no, you know. Their one mission in life on the offensive line is to guard the quarterback, to protect that quarterback to the point where they're limping on Mondays, to the point where pretty young in life, they're having a hard time getting around. Our duty is, even if it means we're limping on Mondays and having a hard time of it later in life, is what we're doing is guarding. 
no one on my watch is going to get their hands on the gospel. It's the kind of mindset we would want to have, even as a church. Because of love for sinners, and that's what they need is the gospel. Over the years, I've gotten interesting phone calls from churches, uh, pastoral search committees, been on someone's resume, so then somebody wants to interview me to talk about the person. And, you know, there's one, one thing that's strangely missing, a lot of things, but one thing I've never heard anything like is anything like this. Wouldn't that be nice? Please explain to us in a page or less at least one historic occasion where, by the grace of God, you were faithful at guarding the gospel from compromise and threat. Don't see that very often. Ever. Anything like it. You know what you do see? Could you please explain to us, if you've had an opportunity to lead a capital campaign, how many dollars you were able to raise? And what was the overall impression uh, amongst the congregation, what were their feelings about it? We get our priorities mixed up. Not that there's anything wrong with having a building program, but that's really not what we're about. What we're about is gospel, 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 gospel. Guarding the gospel here. Let me ask you, what do you do in your life to help us as a church to guard the gospel. This would fit for you if you're a leader or if you're not a leader, if you're young or old. Can you think of, if you knew this was a priority, and it is, practically, on a practical level, what kinds of things do you do or might you want to do? If you need anything for your list, I would start with know what the gospel is. what the gospel is? The gospel is not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that's a summary of the law, which is why you need the gospel. You can't help us to protect the gospel if you think law is gospel. As good as law is. Reading history is helpful. If there's nothing new under the sun, littered with churches like Omaha Bible Church, the lost side of Jesus Christ and the gospel, littered denominations, dead after dead after dead after dead. Theological institutions, dead after dead after dead after dead. If history repeats itself, apart from an exception, Omaha Bible Church will not believe the gospel for sure in a hundred years if we're still here. Apart from God doing something extraordinary, if history repeats itself, more than likely, that is bad. 
if Timothy, who knew Paul, is wavering, going, mm, should I stay or should I go? You can bet we waver. You can bet I do. Guard, 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 guard. It's good to find encouragement too if you want to add to your list. Find encouragement from others and watch how they've guarded. And you say, you know what? I like that. Let's move on. Let's move on to number five. Uh, You know what? Before we do, by the way, verse 14, I didn't give it enough attention. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That should be on the list too. (laughs) It's the inspired way. By the Spirit's help. By the Spirit's help we do this. Oh, and by the way, cross-reference, you can write it in your margin. John 16, 14, Jesus said, The Spirit's role in this world is to glorify me. God, help us through the power of your Spirit to do what we're supposed to do, which would be to glorify the Son. Okay, number five. Are we on number five? Okay. Fifth gospel mandate for us would be take note. Take note. Here's what he's going to do. Timothy, take note of people who've been faithful. So you can say, I want to be like that. They've gone through the tough stuff and they've been faithful. And Timothy, take note of people who have not been faithful. And don't you, Timothy, think for a second that this is mere theory. I'm going to name names. There have been real people that you know, Timothy, who've stayed on the track and they're still running the race. But Timothy, there are people that you know who've walked off the track and are not standing for the gospel anymore. So Timothy, don't you think for a second that this is theory. And I would want to say, Omaha Bible Church, let's not think for a second that this is theory. I don't need to name any names, but we could name names. Paul names them. Look at verse 15. Here's the real example. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. We don't know if they actually turned from the gospel or they just became pansies or cowards and were shameful. But either way, there's real guys for you, Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas in love with the present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. 2 Timothy 4.16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. More names in the pastoral hall of shame. I don't want to have my name in the pastoral hall of shame. I don't. But the reality is there. And then the hall of famers that didn't cave in to the pressure. Verse 16, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Again, in the flow of things, ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, ashamed of Paul, ashamed of his chains. They're all tied together. Here's a guy that wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Onesiphorus. Looking for a new boy name for your next child? We'll call him Nephi. Verse 17, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. See, it's, we're not, this is not games. This is real. This is, this is real. 
One of my former pastors put it this way, and then we'll end. All ministry in the early church revolved around the gospel. Just think about that. All ministry in the early church revolved around the gospel. No one would have suggested a debate about secular politics, a weight loss program, a comedy act, a stage show, a seminar on potty training for young children, or a class on time management for businessmen as a means to boost church attendance. The church and all its ministries were single-mindedly committed to the one task of strengthening believers for furthering the gospel in the world. The book is called Ashamed of the Gospel. It's a good read. Fidelity, fidelity, fidelity. Not to a philosophy, but to a personal God who in His infinite wisdom came up with a plan of redemption, sent His Son in real time and space in history on our behalf so that we could be guaranteed immortality. What are we smoking if we want to offer people something else? doesn't make sense. So if we need to renew our vows, so to speak, today, like Timothy needed to, then we need to renew our vows and say, I'm committed. I'm committed, I'm committed, I'm committed. I am committed. And I'm calling for your commitment by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and for an opportunity to recommit ourselves if necessary, that we would have a heart that has a continual stoke that gospel billows are breathing oxygen into our hearts and into our souls and that we would have a love for people so much so that we would cling with all of our might by the power of the Spirit with both hands to the gospel of Christ. Christ who is our hope. Christ who is our Savior. Christ who is our Redeemer. In His name we pray. Amen.